It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, is it magic? We just magically get all this wonderful food on our table and we keep getting more efficient at it, more effective. And and in the case of organic foods, there's a broader and broader selection of organic foods. But behind it all, there has to be farmers that are being helped, have got new ideas even of producing organic production. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about the broader issue of how we support the needs of farmers to know more, to know how they can do a better job of producing food. And in this particular case, particularly on organic, but I think we're going to talk about the fact that it has implications for all kinds of agriculture too. And I am happy to welcome Thelma Velez, who is the Research and Education Program Manager for the Organic Farming Research Foundation. Thelma, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you, Roger. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'd be happy to be where you are, too. We're actually connecting on Zoom, where, by the way, you have a the beautiful picture that you painted yourself that I'm able to see. And the people listening are just going to have to take my word for it, that you're, you're an accomplished artist in addition to being a research and education manager. So congratulations. Wow. You're multi-talented. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. I do enjoy painting when I have some spare time and I'm not busy advocating and working on research for organic agriculture. And uh, yeah, the weather's nice where I am. I'm in South Florida. Well, I'm in Northern California. It's not too bad here either, although it gets a little hot sometimes. Oh, yes. Yeah. We'll be feeling more of that. Yeah, that's right. Thelma, talking about painting, we're going to have you paint a picture for us of organic production. Um, used to be that perspective for the Organic Farming Research Foundation was primarily California because the office was in Santa Cruz. And I remember visiting people there. You're in Florida. You now have a virtual team all over and you are paying attention to what's going on with organic farming all over the country. And I would imagine you've got an eye on what's happening outside of the country, too, and all, all over the world. So from you, from your perspective, what's it look like today? What would be that painting if I was going to say you paint a verbal picture for me of the state of organic farming and, and its needs today? Where would you start? I would start by saying that organic farmers have been really paving the way in a lot of sustainable practices. And yes, OFRF, um, we are a small but mighty team. We are a national organization and we focus on supporting organic across the nation. There are producers of various different scales. We have small scale producers, mid scale, large scale producers, and our work primarily centers on being able to provide resources to these um, growers, farmers, ranchers, all the producers. Um, and, and part of that work also entails understanding their needs, as you said. And so in, in my capacity at OFRF, we've done a, a large survey, which we do every five years. And we sent the survey out to farmers across the nation. And we asked all the certified organic growers to respond. And we got over a thousand responses. We also held listening sessions and we asked them, what are your greatest challenges? What are your biggest needs? Um, and our goal is to help 
uh, produce research and educational materials and also advocate for those needs. And I think the biggest uh, need that growers have now is to have support with respect to dealing with the challenges of farming. Farming is a complex endeavor, whether you're conventional or organic, uh, but organic farmers feel it much more so because they do not um, they do not have the ability to apply herbicides, pesticides, um, and they're trying to build more ecosystem health in a way that will be more resilient uh, for their farming operations. And um, I think what we're seeing now is that more people are interested in adopting this approach. Uh, recently, you know, you've heard more people saying, what do we do? There's, you know, increasing prices with fuel. How do we address this? Well, fertilizer, there's a deficit. Well, you know, organic growers are not reliant on these synthetic inputs to the same extent as conventional growers. And so that's a, a big plus. But what we need now is to support expansion and growth within the organic farming sector. So Organic farming is, you know, 6% of the market share. We'd like it to be the majority of the market share. We'd love it if everyone could start transitioning to more sustainable production across the nation. Well, it is a fraction of the, of the market share again. But uh, one thing that you made me think of is that there's a lot of conventional farmers that either aspire to have a certain percentage of their farming become organic or be more like organic in some ways and paying attention to some of the, your research. For example, all farmers want to reduce their inputs, even if they're conventional. And so in some respects, they're a little envious of their organic farming neighbors that some of the things that they're having to add pesticides, herbicides, and some of, some of the, some of the fertilizers that, that they use and so forth um, that they say, Hmm, you know, my neighbor over here, uh, they're using some ideas. And so I would guess that some of what you surface and identify that's applicable to organic farmers is, is being copied by conventional farmers that either want to be or just know that they could be, they could benefit if they could take some of those practices into, into their conventional operations as well. Indeed, Roger. I think the biggest um, strength of organic farming is that we are working to build soil health, right? And soil health is critical for any farming operation. And so whether they're, you know, whether you're a conventional grower or an organic grower, but you start implementing soil health best management practices, cover cropping, or, uh, you know, more conservative tilling when you're tilling and just working to build soil organic matter and manage your nutrients in a way that will give you long-term benefits, um, that's a that's a win for everyone, whatever side of the grass you're on. Mm -hmm. Well, in some respects, you look ahead, but you also look back as well. When I look at agriculture, because there's in some ways uh, there was a point in time where everything was organic. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, you go back far enough and you weren't adding chemicals and you you weren't dealing with synthetic fertilizers and and some of the other practices that are are taken off of the list to be uh, to become certified organic. But in addition to kind of looking back at, at traditions that worked before we started getting so chemically intensive, uh, I'm sure you're still finding a new frontier, too, of, of identifying, okay, so we've got these farming operations and we've got these unique needs right now. And that gets to the point you just did this survey. What were some of the surprises that, were, that you learned from the survey that you might not have expected? 
That's a great question. I think uh, one of the things that we do with this survey is try to figure out, well, what's next for us and for our partners? How can we start directing the future research to to not just identify, but help these growers? And uh, I would say, you know, the not surprising was weeds, right? People are struggling with weeds and soil health. On the more surprising end were things like crop livestock integration. Uh, Farmers want to learn more directly from farmers, and they want to learn how to integrate livestock into their cropping systems. And I think, you know, moving in that direction is more of a holistic approach, uh, but there are struggles with that. Um, There are also growers who mentioned just challenges with um, access to markets. So the beginning growers and uh, also people of color. So our Black, Indigenous and people of color um, folks, respondents, they were saying that they were struggling with um, every challenge more so than people who were more experienced or the non-BIPOC counter folks. And so this, um, these challenges are being felt more disproportionately by some people. And then the beginning growers and BIPOC growers are saying like, hey, we need more support. We want to do this kind of work, uh, but we need more, more help doing it. And they're leaning towards, you know, integrating not just crop and livestock, but also doing, uh, you know, compost teas or, you know, cool inoculants. And they want to try to build soil health from the, from the very beginning and not do organic agriculture by substitution. You know, I'm curious how many ideas can come from looking at some of the indigenous production practices. Uh, you look, I know you're looking at what's going on globally, but, and I believe you've also been involved with agroecology and and so the the wisdom from some of these indigenous practices uh, in, included just the combination of plants that had the unique combinations that seemed to be um, discourage insects and disease and and they had the symbiotic kind of relationship. Um, that's that's really amazing, and I'll let you talk about that. But then you try to transplant some of those concepts and get larger scale. Um, you know, you've had a tradition with organic farmers that there are many people still today that are making a living off of a couple acres because they have a farmer's market, they have some direct farm to table sales, and so forth. But now we are at a stage where there's more and more that we're larger scale in, in trying to get larger. It must be a challenge to take some of that wisdom of some of those synergies and, and help scale the concept uh, for these farmers that just need to be getting a little bigger than they were before. Yeah. So I feel like that's a, you know, at least a three-part question, but no, I'm glad you kept track of how many questions I put inside that. Cause it was kind of a mess. I was going all over the place, but no, uh, no. But no you, you, you picked out three. So go for it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll say the first one is, you know, going back to traditional knowledge and, and yes, that's the case around the world. A lot of times, you know, and we did mention this in our report, a lot of the practices that organic growers are using are founded on these traditional ancestral knowledges from different regions of the world, whether that's companion planting, you know, you can think about the three sisters and just finding ways to have nature work um, with you and work with nature, as opposed to trying to work against it. Um, I do have a background in agroecology and a lot of that kind of comes into the work that we think about when we're working more directly with farmers and thinking about, as you mentioned, scale. So that third question, like how do you translate some of this to scale? Um, 
I would say that's kind of a fine line to walk. Uh, we do serve all organic growers at all scales, but we do recognize that there is an importance to supporting the small and the mid-scale producers uh, because those are the ones who are struggling often the most because economies of scales, right? We know that the bigger someone gets, the easier it is for them to access the market and to deal with these products. And sometimes the bigger you get, the harder it is to translate these traditional practices or these soil health practices um, at a larger scale, right? The more diversified an operation is, the better it is when it comes to managing risk, um, the more resilient it is when it comes to climate change. Um, and so that's a there's a fine line to walk there, Roger. I, I can't say that I have a great answer to it, but I can say that I think we do look back to um, indigenous information, knowledge from traditional you know, agriculture, we use these terms organic, um, but, you know, this is organic is going way back. This is what people did long before uh, Haber-Bosch and the Green Revolution and the advent of, you know, synthetic inputs within these farming operations. And so um, I think that's going to be the future for farming, given, you know, everything that's happening is we need to kind of get back to uh, supporting the soil, working with nature, and, and working with the communities that do that work primarily. So we do partner with researchers, but we're also looking to focus more on farmer-led. We do, in our grants program, we fund researchers and farmer partnerships, right, for them to kind of conduct experiments. And some of our, some of our applicants most recently that were funded, they're working with cooperatives in agroecology, for example, in Mexico. And so one of these projects that we're funding now is working with the, you know, the community, the cooperative, they are an agroecology focused cooperative, they do produce organic coffee, and at the expense of producing organic coffee, they stopped producing staple crops because they weren't sure how to integrate that into an organic system. Uh, and so losing, now people are losing traditional knowledge to get into an organic market, and that's not what we want. And so there's, there's a lot of questions to unpack here. Well, and, you know, one of the things that occurs to me is that when you're looking at these various solutions, it becomes so important that you can use combination of plants and other practices instead of one of the things that had been the backbone initially, literally, if you will, of organic style farming uh, was really back work. I mean, it was it was hoeing or tilling and then you get into tillage. And when you get into tillage, then you're kind of in conflict with trying to um, for carbon sequestration, because if you weren't doing the chemicals, you were having to have more passes through the fields with cultivators and plows, or in some cases, really small scale, just handheld and hose and so forth. Um, how do you get around that? Yeah, that's the biggest struggle. When I say weeds is the biggest struggle for organic growers um, in terms of production, that's it right there. And so some people get around it by, you know, using plastic mulch, uh, trying to solarize and kill weeds. Um, some people are trying to come up with, you know, cool non-synthetic herbicides or those companion plants. Um, we do focus on more conservative tilling. For example, right now we do have an agreement with NRCS and we're helping to produce, you know, a conservation tillage guidebook where we recognize that not all tillage is the same, right? We're disking or plowing at 12 inches versus three inches. There's a big difference uh, to what's happening with, you know, the micro um, fauna and what's going on with these soil microorganisms, 
we do not want to heavily disturb the soil, but at the same time, a lot of these growers, they need to tackle the weeds because if the weeds are growing, then they're not producing their commodity that they need. Um, and farming is not a lucrative endeavor. And so every little piece of land counts. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to find the answers to these questions, there has to be research done. Uh, how many of the land-grant universities, every state in the United States has land-grant universities, and there's and, and across North America and other areas, they are also agriculture colleges doing work. Is there organic research going on in most of the land-grant universities in the United States? Oh, that's a loaded question, Roger. No, there's not. There's not um, a focus for organic in all of the land grants. There are a select few that are, and they have either extension specialists or agents that do serve, um, but there are not many. It's far and few in between. Um, there are, like I said, there are some, there are a handful that do some work with organic or they have a faculty member or two that may uh, kind of dip their toes in organic. Uh, but that is something that we're really pushing for when it comes to supporting the land grant system and also supporting uh, the growth of the organic sector by making sure that they have the research that they need. And that is one of the biggest struggles that I think uh, at the bigger meta level within policy work uh, is that we are trying to make sure that there's funding being allocated to organic research and organic extension because that's what the organic growers need, right? If the majority of researchers are focusing on non-organic production systems and how to properly apply, you know, a synthetic nitrogen fertilizer for tomato crops. Well, we do need that for organic as well. We need to know how do they address a pest issue um, that is not by applying a commonly known herbicide or pesticide. Now, I'm guessing that the percentage of agriculture research that is organic focused is a very small percentage. I, I, I suppose something less than 5%. I am, but I'm just guessing, just ballparking. I don't have the number for you. I, I think 5% is could be close. Um, there's really not that much going on out there right now. And that's really what we're pushing for. We, we know that in terms of investment for the organic research and education initiative, like NIFA's program, right now through the USDA, less than 1% is going to organic. Um, and we're trying to push for that to be more at least aligned with the market share. Uh, but but research that's happening at land grants, what percent it is, I do not have a good number on that. We so know we want more. Well, yeah. And so that is a source. I mean, uh, across the country, uh, the agriculture research is funded by a couple sources. Uh, in some cases, states are putting money into their land grants and, and extension service so, and federal monies that are going into it. But then there are also more and more private companies. And these could be companies that are pesticide companies and, you know, other kind of uh, national companies that are funding it. And universities are finding it that the it's more and more difficult to get money. And so they're, they're looking for these these corporate partners. So your challenge is to try to get as much help as you need for, for your constituents. And so Thelma, lucky you, someone invited you to tell the House Agriculture Committee or the Senate Agriculture Committee, I guess it was. The House. It, it was a House? Yeah. Oh, okay, the House. Uh, what you'd like. Now, that's great. This is like Christmas, huh? 
you get to put a, <laughs> you could put your list together for Santa. So how did that come about? Did you get a did you get a call out of the blue or somebody that's uh, on your side working in Washington saying there's going to be a committee hearing and we need to be sure that Organic Farming Research Foundation is on the invitation list? Oh, you got it. We definitely have people who are advocating on our part. Um, our executive director has been involved in advocacy for organic for decades now, and uh, she does have several connections and, you know, in meetings that often our policy person, Gordon Merrick, has been having, that, you know, sometimes it'll arise where, well, we're going to have a meeting, a uh, House committee on agriculture is going to have a, a listening session or a testimony, and they want to find someone who has expertise on for example, climate resilience or uh, a particular topic. And so I was tapped to present um, the importance of organic agriculture because um, we need to make sure that organic is being represented in as many spaces as possible, not just organic specific hearings or meetings because organic, the findings for organic agriculture are relevant to all agriculture operations, right? Any conventional grower who begins to implement cover crops will see those benefits as well. Yeah. Well, so somebody actually called you and said, hey, look, we're, we can get you on the program. So you get on the agenda, you get a date and you prepare what? You prepared a paper in advance or something like that? Yeah. So I had a week to prepare a written testimony and there's a verbal testimony. And this happened on June 15th. It is available online for anyone who wants to view it through the House Agriculture Committee website. They have a YouTube channel. Um, the written testimony of all of the people who came to give a testimony is available for people to see. And so I do have a written testimony and I provided the oral testimony uh, closely aligned with what we wrote up, which really just described the challenges that organic growers are facing, the importance of this work, uh, how we are experts in this field. Uh, the Organic Farming Research Foundation has been doing this kind of work for over 30 years. Um, we highlighted some of the challenges that we found in our, in our most recent NORA report. And then we really just laid it out. What do we need in terms of research funding? Uh, what kind of support? And also to highlight that, you know, with this, the language of climate smart, um, not to make, to just to make sure that organic is not left behind, right? So we need more research, um, but we also want to get recognition for the great work that organic growers have been doing uh, for quite for quite a long time. You know, I'm I'm thinking when you talk about asking for funding from the federal government. Uh, a farm bill is coming up, and in the but many have pointed out to me that we should call it the food bill rather than the the farm bill. Seventy five percent of the farm bill funding, which is a pretty big number, is for nutrition programs. Yes, and I think these are good programs. I think SNAP and you know um, I think WIC and uh, many different programs that ended up get getting their funding and their. They're certainly necessary, but I think it's worth pointing out that that big chunk for the farm bill that people point to, uh, it's not all farmers. It's, you know, like only 30% are towards agriculture, but of that 30%, uh, you end up having insurance programs and you have other things. And then the research part of that is shrinking. It's less than a third of a third, I, I think. And you're still talking billions of dollars. But then when you get to the areas that you're specifically interested in, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. Sliver. It's a sliver of the pie. So it must be tempting when you know that you're, I believe you're on Zoom when you did this, didn't you? 
Correct. Or, okay, so you're on Zoom, and there are certainly a lot of the staffers there, and many of the of, of the senators that are in and out, and they're looking at your comment. But did you have to hold yourself back a little bit and say, "Look, guys, come on, to be fair, we're not we're not getting our fair share. This is an important area, and we just have to proportionately." get a bigger share than we've been getting in the past. Did, did you have to hold yourself back a little bit or did you just let it rip? No, I, I definitely think that our priority was not necessarily just saying, hey, we need our fair share, but just to make sure that the funding that has been already set aside through NIFA's OREI program um, and investments in the ARS, the long-term agri-ecosystem agri research sites, uh, uh, you know, that that funding is at least what it currently is, but if not expanded, um, but holding back uh, with respect to kind of saying like, hey, give us our fair share of the pie is not necessarily the case. I think the the biggest case that I went out to make was that organic is here and we are growing and we need support and the farmers have spoken. And uh, we're, we're and my goal was just to kind of really make sure that that is known um, and people hear it so that we can get the support. And yes, do we want to get a, you know, a huge chunk, the majority of that research investment, that would be phenomenal because then that would also trickle down and encourage other researchers to say, hey, there are bigger pots of money on organic. Maybe we should be focusing more on organic agriculture. And and that that is, you know, the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, but the goal is to just get the word out there as much as much as possible, get the recommendations out. And, and the conversations happen not just at the testimony, right? Our advocacy and policy programs, they are constantly meeting with staffers and, and pushing for more investments. And we work closely with other organic partner organizations to get on the same page with respect to farm bill priorities. And so it's not just OFRF doing this work, National Organic Coalition, Organic Trade Association, the Organic Center, you know, NSAC, these organizations behind the scenes are all working together to say, hey, let's make sure we're putting out the same priorities to encourage that the that the investment is there. You know, one thing I'm thinking about is that there came a time when people, especially like in California, probably Florida as well. Actually, I think it was Florida, Arizona, um, California, and Texas. Uh, and I think they called it an acronym. I think it was like FACT, F-A-C-T or something like that. And they were all saying that, look, we're, we're kind of sunbelt states. We've got more specialty crops and we're not getting the, the share that we need to because all the attention and the big money was on the row crops of like corn and soybeans and wheat and, and cotton and a little bit rice. But those are primarily where a lot of the money went with what was the, the traditional farm programs. And a result of those efforts is that they came up with programs like the specialty block grants that allowed each state to have funds available that could be used for research and promotion. So uh, I'm, I'm wondering if that has proven to be a source of some funding, uh, some of the specialty crop grants that the Congress has made available. Oh, they are indeed, um, especially it's, you know, for the researchers, for communities and those changing priorities were, you know, working more closely with farmers of color, for example. And so uh, we've tapped into those funds through the California Department of Food and Ag for their specialty crop plants. And we do focus on providing educational resources through some of these grants. And so we've created courses. We do have free online courses for farmers interested in learning more about soil health and weed management and water conservation 
Um, and as of now, we do have an ongoing project as well that you just mentioned, you know, is from the specialty grant programs in California. And we're translating our soil health course to Spanish and working with a collaborative team to make it more user friendly. And so uh, I do think that those are extremely important programs and the investment should continue to, you know, be put out there and that should also grow. Does Florida and some of the other states you work with, are they also accessing block grants there? Uh, you know, I, I don't have an exact number on who in Florida is accessing block grants, and I don't uh, I don't have numbers for other states. I just right now the top, one that comes to the top mm-hmm. of my mind is the one that we were pulling from most recently, since we do have lots of connections within California. But um, each state should be trying to maximize that, right, and making sure that it gets out there. The specialty crops, like you said, states like Florida. And California, they tend to focus more on specialty crops, whether it's berry production or um, other other goods and commodities versus the Midwest, which, for example, would be more in the Great Lakes region, which is going to be more focused on field crops. You know, I think one of the interesting things that you face, though, is that not all of the members, not all the organic people that are selling organic have soil. Um, and I think that, as I understand that to be somewhat of a, of a controversy and people might be scratching their head, but when they think of organic, most people, especially consumers and probably even restaurants and retailers, one of the first things they think about is that the absence of, of pesticides, uh, at at least chemical type pesticides, uh, that's, that's another kind of conversation and, or synthetic fertilizers and, uh, GMO, um, but as you've talked about, there's people are trying to figure out how they increase the soil, but not everything that's grown organically necessarily has to have soil. The substrates are still allowed for the organic rules and uh, greenhouses often have maybe substrates, although some greenhouses actually have soil too. Um, but where you're looking at building up the microbial communities with, with the soils, but you know, I don't, don't want to get to the end of the podcast on on a, on the controversy in a way. But but it just seems it's like it's it's one of those challenges because the constituents uh, that includes anybody that's organic, certified organic, not all of them, but most of them have have the soil component. Uh, is that a tricky one to walk around when you're dealing with the research and providing you know as, assistance to these different production systems? Well, when we're thinking about organic systems, you know, we're really following what 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 is counted as organic and um, the majority of respondents within our um, survey, what their needs are. And so we kind of prioritize what are the top needs and challenges that people have. And so smaller sectors may not always get uh, the same level of attention. You're right. That is a controversial topic. It is, um, I would say, heated. You know, we get all it runs the gamut when we hear responses and people saying like, hey, if you don't have soil, how can you be considered, you know, even a farmer or organic? Um, um, I really feel like for our organization, we're just trying to help as many people with whatever resources that we can. And so I would say it is, it's a fine line to walk, but when we guide our work, the roadmap comes from our national organic research agenda, what we're hearing from other farmers and ranchers and growers and um, what we're hearing from people in different states, what researchers are telling us and and that guides our work. And so soil health will continue to be kind of pivotal for us, not just because it's important for the operations, but we also focus a lot on climate resilience, climate adaptation, climate mitigation, 
uh, because we know that that is a big issue. That is, it's, we're feeling it more and more. Farmers are feeling it. Researchers are feeling it. And so addressing the, the pending climate issue is at the forefront and soil is kind of the heart of that for us. Well, the heart of it's soil. Let's get back to one more thing about soil, and that is the a healthy microbial community. You know, Delma, if, if those little bugs are listening in, I think they'd be cheering you when you talk about getting more livestock and figuring out how ways to integrate livestock into the system. Because that's one of the things that's always has done really, really well. And um, there's there's some things you have to work out when you're dealing with livestock. Obviously, there's the potential for E. coli and other kind of contamination. But soil health, I, again, I think we would be getting standing ovations from the microbial community when you hear us talking about that. Absolutely. I mean, that is something that we're really trying to make sure we can support more of. And it's, you know, we're working on grants to help get more resources out there to help those people who are trying to transition and integrate livestock into their operations. I mean, the importance to, like you said, the soil microbial communities, and yes, there are risks and challenges, you know, safety protocols that need to be followed, uh, but people have been doing it successfully for a long time. And our goal is to get the word out from farmers to other farmers. So interviewing farmers, what are these case studies? What are they telling us? You know, what are the, the most important aspects of integrating livestock into cropping systems and how can they share what's working for them with others so that we can encourage and and get the ball rolling it's exciting there's so many uh, frontiers right now and one of the frontiers happens to be underground and you're addressing all of that and uh, just a quick couple things to wrap up I think one, how'd you get here? I mean, this uh, this seems like you're pretty enthusiastic. You've got, um, you're working in an area you obviously care very much about, but could you just give a snapshot of how you found yourself in this position? Sure, well, I've been involved in agriculture and food systems research for over 15 years, um, different projects, USDA programs. I did my master's at Florida International University and that was where I really started digging in, literally into the soil and getting to know, you know, farmers around in my community. I did not grow up in a farming family um, generations ago. They were, but I just didn't have that access. And once I got my hands in soil, I just really did not want to take them out. I love growing food and I understand the importance of soil. I did my PhD at Ohio State University and I was trying to focus more on social components of agricultural systems and thinking more specifically about how communities respond to climate change and um, being of Puerto Rican descent. Uh, after Hurricane Maria, I, I traveled to Puerto Rico and tried to work with some of the brigades trying to build up the importance of agroecological systems there and not just the actual science or practice of agroecology, but that social movement, right? Building uh, building a social movement that can help empower farmers to make more informed decisions and, and give them the power to make a change for the better. And uh, I think when I applied to the Organic Farming Research Foundation, I was not entirely sure what to expect from this position. And ever since I got here, I'm really excited about the work that we do. And I'm really excited about the work that we continue to do. Our team is just excited and they're enthusiastic. Everyone wants to really put out the best work that we can and continue to build our organization in ways that are more equitable, uh, that are serving you know, 
greater audiences as people. We do prioritize farmers and ranchers, but we do want to make sure that our content is accessible to others as well. And so that's a, a little bit about how I got to where I am. And, and this is great for me. I think this is, um, you know, helping other people get the support that they need is something that I thrive in. If we were going to look ahead five years and what do you suppose will get you excited then? Um, either of where you are or where we are at the brink of something else, but um, what gives you the most hope and optimism about five years down the road? Well, to think through five years, I feel like I have to think through the next farm bill as well <laughs> to figure out where the resource is going to be and how we can support growers. Um, for me, just making sure that I'm still closely connected to food systems research, um, seeing that holistic, bigger picture and, and just continuing to do great work in any capacity. Boy, that sounds like a, a good vision for the future. And if people want to either know what you've testified on or just know more about the, the programs of the Organic Farming Research Foundation, where did they find you? So OFRF, so Organic Farming Research Foundation.org. So OFRF.org uh, has our website. All of our staff are on there. If people want to reach out to our policy or communications person or to myself under research and education, you'll find my email, Thelma at OFRF.org. And if you're interested in seeing the testimony or reading it, you can go to the uh, House Committee on Agriculture's website. Just Google um, House Committee on Agriculture, and it should be one of the first ones that pop up. And you can go under hearings or testimonies and and you can pull that up there. I'm always open to fielding calls and different ideas. We do like to hear from, you know, from the from the people out there, you know, what are the needs that they feel are important? And I've received a, and fielded lots of calls and emails since our NORA report came out. People saying, like, I definitely agree with these findings. And what can we do next? Yeah. Well, Thelma, the less, I really appreciate your taking the time to have this conversation with us on Farm to Table Talk. Roger, thank you so much for the invitation. This was fantastic. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 